live and local. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Open for the end zone. It's a Saints touchdown. It's time for two hours of the best sports talk on the airwaves. Here's your host, the Blonde Bomber, Jordy Holtberg. Good afternoon to you and yours. Hope you're doing splendidly on this Wednesday, January 11th, the year 2023. Middle of the week, and we've got a busy two hours planned for you and yours. A little hoops from the collegiate level, a little hoops from the NBA level. Lots of... um, wrap-up of the college football season and looking ahead it all awaits you plus a a very special birthday wish to uh one of the more legendary maybe the most legendary moment in the history of lsu sports with that in mind i say hello and good afternoon to my producer who is back in the game studios james mesh he is in the master control suite which is on the campus of delta media which houses KLWB, which is 1037 Lafayette. We're also on 1041 in Lake Charles, streaming everywhere, and I mean everywhere around this glorious world of ours. 1037thegame.com, 1041thegame.com. And if you're in the Acadiana area and want to put a face to the voice, uh, well, you can see I'm wearing glasses. Uh, because we're simulcast on Stadium 32.3 and 133 on L-U-S Fiber. Did you miss the headlines of the day? Not to worry. The Blonde Bomber has you covered. Here is Holtberg's headlines. When you hold an opponent that's on your home court in hoops to under 40% shooting to 20% shooting from behind the three-point line, You expect to win a game. But as said yesterday, for LSU to win games this year in basketball, they have to shoot the ball exceptionally well. LSU shot only 32% on their home court. They shot 18% from downtown. Five of 28 They turned the ball over 16 times, which led to 23 Florida Gator points. And in what was a throwback to high school days, Florida beats LSU 67 to 56. To put it in proper perspective, my daughter plays high school basketball. They scored 55 points yesterday in an 11-point win. LSU scored 56 points. Goodness gracious. Don't ever be confused by what they do in the non-conference because they don't play anybody, anybody. And you're going to say, well, wait a minute. They started off and they beat Arkansas. Yes, they did. Go look at the stats on that one. Go look at the shooting percentage in that one. They shot it well. Look at the last two games, A&M and Florida. They can't shoot it into Lake Pontchartrain. They can't make it. And guess what? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Guess what's waiting for them? The next four games. 
at number four, Alabama, Auburn at home, Tennessee at home, and at Arkansas. All four ranked in the top 25. Alabama's fourth, Tennessee's fifth. Arkansas wants to exact revenge on that conference opening loss. It is not good. Not good. You don't shoot the ball well. You turn the ball over way too much. That is a recipe for disaster. Sheldon Mickles will join us in just a few minutes, and we'll discuss all of that. The Pels are on the road as they continue this uh, this road swing as they take on the uh, Boston Celtics. Celtics have a five-game home winning streak. Um, their last win... A 107-99 win over the Chicago Bulls. Jason Tatum is the star, averaging a team-high 30.8 points per game. No Celtics player has averaged 30 points per game in a season. Larry Bird was the best at 29.9 back in 87-88. So uh, a monumental task for the Pelicans. We'll talk with Ali Cassell in this hour about that and much, much more. Um, good news. The Bills' DeMar Hamlin has been discharged from Buffalo General Medical Center. After more than nine days in two hospitals, Hamlin is now back at his home in Buffalo with his family. He went through a series of comprehensive medical evaluations as well as a series of cardiac, neurological, and vascular testing on Tuesday. Dr. Jamie Nadler, his critical care physician and chief quality officer at Kalita Health, who runs the Buffalo General, said in a statement, we have completed a series of tests and evaluations, and in consultation with the team physicians, we are confident that DeMar can be safely discharged to continue his rehabilitation at home and with the Bills. So that is uh, fantastic news there. As if the Bills didn't have a lot to play for, Uh, They got the word from the Miami Dolphins camp, who they face in the wild card round, that quarterback Tua Tagovailoa has been ruled out for Sunday's wild card game against the Buffalo Bills. He's been in the concussion protocol since December 26th after suffering his second documented concussion, emphasis on documented concussion of the season, the day before in a loss to the Green Bay Packers. Head coach Mike McDaniel said that Tua has not been cleared to resume any sort of football activities and that because of the amount of time he has already missed, he was able to rule him out. McDaniel said the Dolphins are preparing for rookie Skylar Thompson to make his third career start Sunday. Veteran Teddy Bridgewater still working his way back. (coughs) Excuse me, from a dislocated pinky finger on his throwing hand and his possible availability is unclear (laughs) look that's the best thing the old adage of win at any cost thank god is out of the window now (laughs) too many situations taking unnecessary risks with players health Uh, and finally coaches Staffs. It used to be where the medical staff used to say, listen to the coach and say, look, tape him up. 
We need him. We got to have him. If we don't have him, we can't win. Okay, go play. Well, that, those days are over, thank God. So congratulations, Miami, for getting into the playoffs the way you did. Uh, but it's all coming to an end. It's all coming to an end. There is no um, no way around it. That that's just that's just going to be it. The saga of Carlos Correa appears to have come to an end as he's passed his physical with the Minnesota Twins, and they have now signed off on Correa's medicals, and he signed off on a guaranteed six-year deal to return the club. The six-year deal is worth $200 million, but can max out at $270 million over 10 seasons if he can remain on the field. So this ends a month-long saga that included the San Francisco Giants and the New York Mets, both balking at long-term agreements with Correa because of concerns about a 2014 surgery on his lower right leg. Well, the Twins said, we're good. We're good. Let, let's roll with it. Yes, indeed. Let us roll with it. So Carlos Correa, um, from the Astros to the Twins to the Giants to the Mets, back to the Twins. Um, so there you go. Uh, still on the football front, um, the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, it looks like their quarterback, Lamar Jackson, is a major question mark to return to the start of the playoffs. He was not present during media viewing of Wednesday's practice, which um, – significantly decreases his chances of playing in Sunday night's wild card game at the Cincinnati Bengals. He's not suited up since injuring his left knee on December 4th, a span of 38 days. With no contract, if I'm Lamar Jackson, I don't know what to do. Without him, they can't win. Do you take Lamar? Does Lamar Jackson play at 85%? I don't know. In addition to Jackson not practicing, backup Tyler Huntley did not throw a pass during the media viewing portion on Wednesday. He's dealing with tendonitis in his right shoulder and didn't throw during last week's practice. So if neither one of them can play, Baltimore would start undrafted rookie Anthony Brown, who made his first NFL start in Sunday's 27-16 loss at Cincinnati. In five games without Lamar Jackson, the Ravens have averaged 13 points, second worst in the NFL. Oh, he's going to get paid. Somebody, some way, somehow, he's going to get paid. All right. Um, again, Sheldon Mickles on LSU basketball's woes. It's, it's not that complicated of a game. If you can't shoot, you can't win. Simple. Ali Cassell on the Pels facing a monumental task in Beantown and Mike Huguenin from on3.com coming your way today. Now, if you didn't get what you wanted from Santa, no worries. We have the gifts you really want in the game clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. As a member of our rewards club, you'll have the opportunity to score excellent prizes like a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse at Cypress Bayou Casino Resort or a $20 five dollar gift certificate to mabel's kitchen at cypress bayou casino resort we also now have 40 dollar gift cards to misfits dine and drink in broussard and a 50 dollar gift certificate to richard seafood patio in abbeville but you can only score these prizes by becoming a member of the game clubhouse at 1037 thegamecom or 1041 thegamecom it's free it's simple so go sign up today 
We'll be back talking LSU hoops, one and three, and the road ahead is dangerous. Stay with us. This is the Jordy Heltberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, your home for the World Series champion Houston Astros and your LSU Tigers. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. We are back 17 minutes after the hour on this Wednesday, January 11th, the year 2023. Um, LSU basketball falls last night at home to the Florida Gators, um, 67-56. He covers the Tigers in hoops for the advocate, our good friend Sheldon Mickles, who's kind enough on the day after to kind of explain things and uh, break it all down for Sheldon. Good afternoon, sir. How are you? Hey, Jordy, I'm doing fine. How about you? I'm good. Uh, it's a simple game, I think. If you don't shoot it well and you turn the ball over, uh, you got no shot to win. And that's what it seemed like <laughs> what happened last night in a in a very disappointing performance by the Tigers. You, you sum it up for me. Well, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, it's a, death, uh, a recipe for disaster. I mean... Uh, you know, you don't want to call any one game a disaster, but that that was that was a pretty uh, disappointing performance last night. You would you would expect that they would come back after the A and M game. You know, they they had a heartbreaking loss to Kentucky, obviously, and right. and they were going to A and M, and I thought they had a really good shot to win that game, uh, and they didn't shoot the ball well there and turn the ball over. So you expect them, hey, to come back home and. Uh, you know, two weeks after they beat Arkansas in the same building, uh, who was ranked number nine at the time, uh, they come in and uh, what I—I I don't want to call them a mediocre team, but uh, Florida is not as good as they have been. They—they uh, right. they have a good, good band, uh, big man in the middle, and uh, they have a wholly whole different team, uh, like a lot of other people, but. Um, They've struggled at times this year, uh, lost their first two SEC games, and LSU basically um, just didn't didn't play well. I mean, another uh, – they shot worse than they did at A&M, and right. they had one more turnover than they did at A&M. So uh, that's, that's not going to cut it. And Matt McMahon uh, specifically said that after the game or pointed that out, that not going to win many games, you know, doing that in the SEC. Yeah, when you hold a team to a little bit under 40% from the floor, 20% from behind the arc, and you as a home team, uh, without knowing anything else, I would say, well, you're going to win. But my gosh, LSU shot 32% from the field, 18% from downtown. So I, I guess the question is, you've had one consistency basically all year long, and that's been K.J. Williams. Um, he's going to find a way to score. He had 23 points. He had seven rebounds. And then after that, it's it's always been who's going to be the next guy, and heaven forbid, who's going to be the third guy. We thought maybe Adam Miller had gotten back into a rhythm, and he was the number two scorer, and then potluck after that. Well, Miller goes two for 12, and I'm not pointing finger. That happens to kids. It happens, but... 
I guess the point is there's no other consistency besides KJ Williams. <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, one one night they had Cam Hayes. You know, got twenty five. Uh, I can't remember exactly what game it was, but he had twenty five points. And then um, you know, Trey Hannibal had a great game uh, last week. He had nineteen points against Arkansas. Uh, but uh, you know, Cam Hayes was hurt last night and was out, and uh, I really believe they missed him a lot because I, okay. I did the numbers today and. Since he got into the lineup, uh, got in the regular rotation the last six and a half games, I think he started the second half of the Wake Forest game. Um, since then, he was, he was averaging 11.3 points, 2.9 assists, and uh, or 2.9 rebounds. And, you know, he, he had some assists, too. So right. um, he's been playing very well. And, and uh, I, I thought he's been a playmaker for him, uh, much more so than – Justice Hill, I thought Justice Hill was going to be a, a real bona fide playmaker for him, but he hasn't really kind of hit his stride yet. I don't know for what reason, but um, mm-hmm. and then when Adam Miller struggles, um, you know, from the from the field, um, Miller was two out of twelve from the field. I think Hill was one out of nine, and I think Hannibal was one out of six, or yeah. the other way around. That's so right. When you, your that's top right. three guards uh, shooting that—that's not uh, not not going to not going to cut it, and. You know, like I said, I, I think Hayes is, is more of a, a playmaker, you know, and, and a creator than uh, than I thought Justice Hill has been. So I, I think they definitely missed him last night. No excuses, but uh, uh, yeah. you, you you would hope that they would have shot better or gotten better shots, you know, with with Hayes, you know, controlling and running things. A lot of misses, which means there's lots of opportunities for rebounds. At least LSU won the battle on the boards, which is something that was a point of emphasis after the A&M loss. They out-rebounded Florida 40-34. to So if you're looking for a silver lining in a dark cloud, I guess that's the only one you can grab a hold of. Yeah, and I think they're just going to have to – they're going to have to keep doing that because I uh, pointed out in my story after the A&M game, uh, Alabama, Tennessee, and uh, uh, Auburn, who three of the four teams that are coming up in the next two weeks, yeah. those three teams are among the top four in the SEC in rebounding. And uh, <laughs> Alabama and Tennessee are near the top of the nation and top nationally in rebounding. So, I mean, they, they have to find, you know, ways to, you know, keep the rebounding going and, you know, get, get back on the offensive. I mean, you know, until last night, well, until the A&M game, they had shot below forty percent just once uh, all season, and then they were uh, they were tied for fourth with Florida of all people uh, going into last night's game at forty five point four percent shooting for the season, and both teams uh, shot it miserably. Although Florida did uh, you know shot eleven of twenty in the second half, nine of twelve from two point range, and mm. that got the job done. And they also. You know they 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 were more aggressive getting into the paint, uh, and they got they got uh, fouls, and uh, they wound up shooting thirty two free throws to LSU sixteen. So that's that's another tough one. Yeah. In addition uh, to the turnovers and the poor shooting, uh, you know, they 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 were killed at the at the free throw line. And that was that was my next point. Is LSU settling for too many three point shots instead of taking the ball to the basket? In other words, if you're not a really good three point shooting team, why keep shooting them? Drive in, get to the mid range, try and get to the free throw line. So are they settling? And are teams allowing LSU to shoot threes? 
Yeah, and I think they 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 they're telling people like, okay, you know, you're gonna beat us from the three. We're not gonna let you down low. And they they doing stuff to KJ Williams. They they doubling him down low, and it's making him get out to the top of the arc, which which he's yep. shooting, you know, forty five, forty six percent for the year, which is not you know from from outside from the three That's point good. range. That's not bad, obviously, for a six ten guy. But uh, yeah. he's got a sweet looking shot from up there. But um, you know Miller. Miller has he's gotten a little better the last couple of games, and then he kind of fell off again last night. He had been in a really bad slump and uh, played. He shot much better against Kentucky and Texas A and M, but then he kind of took a step back last night, going two of twelve. So um, you know, and one thing, Jordy, I noticed early in the season, and I didn't ask anybody about it. I, I, it was just kind of a an observation on my point that on my part, that they were shooting uh, threes early in the game. I don't know if they, you know, is a kind of a heat check against the defense or if that's his mode of operation, method of operation. But they would take, you know, four, five, six threes early in the game, and yeah. then they would yeah. settle in. And then you look at the stats at the end of the game, they had 15 threes or something like that. You know, so they were taking them early. Now, uh, I don't, you know, I didn't look at it enough last night because it was, such a poor shooting night, but yeah. um, I don't know if that's part of his game plan is to check early and see if you could get something outside, and if not, go in. But uh, they need to get back to getting the ball in the paint and uh, using K.J. Williams more there, although you know he could get back outside and hit some threes when you need him. Sheldon Mickles of The Advocate, um, the road gets hairy. I mean, you got to go to Tuscaloosa. Great LSU teams have gone into the capstone. They've come away with losses, uh, and Alabama's really good. They've got Auburn at home, Tennessee at home, and then they've got to go back to Arkansas, who you know wants to exact some revenge from that SEC season-opening loss here in Tigertown. Uh, with that all being said, it seems like the defense is okay. You hold you hold a team to 67 in modern college basketball. That's it's not bad. That's pretty good. You just got to score. Yeah, you, held, so I don't, what, you held. What do you do? You held Texas A&M to fifty-nine, uh, sixty-nine on Saturday. Yes. So that's two games in a row. You held the opponents to sixty-nine and sixty-seven. You just got to find some way to get some offense. I mean, yeah. you know, wherever it's got to come from, it's got to come from somewhere. And if Cam Somewhere. Hayes is the guy that needs to get it back, I mean, they need to get him back in the lineup as quickly as possible. Uh, uh, you know, Matt said last night. There's no structural damage, so they're hoping you know when he gets you know gets rid of the soreness and he can get his full mobility back, he'll be back soon. So, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, Alabama and Tennessee. I pointed out Saturday after they both won their early games, they won their two games by a total of 68 points, and Kentucky had to hit a three at the buzzer as Alabama's players are walking off the court to get the 50 last week last Saturday. So. Uh, against Alabama, so uh, they need to. They need they, their work is cut out for them on Saturday. Let's put it that way. Yeah, um, we will. See. It's almost unfair to Matt McMahon with the with the early success of Brian Kelly and Kim Mulkey and Jake Johnson. It's almost unfair because uh, everybody expects this LSU basketball team to have the same kind of success. It doesn't come that easy. It, it's, there's some growing pains here. No, yeah, exactly right, and uh, he's he's just trying to, you know, he's trying to get his program established, and um, you know, uh, the non-conference schedule, you know, was a little bit uh, soft, and uh, it was by design, just like Kim said, hers was, you know, soft this year, a little bit softer this year because she didn't yeah. know what transfer she had coming in, and he was sort of the same way. He had no players that, and and so he had to build his roster. I mean, I'm sorry, his schedule 
yeah. to suit that. And uh, so they did that. But then the SEC didn't do them any favors. Uh, no. You know, the first eight games were against these, this gauntlet. And uh, I've had more than a few people tell me that uh, SEC office must have thought Will Wade was still coaching. But anyway, <laughs> um, it was like, uh, here's your schedule. Good luck, you know. Uh, but anyway, it, it, not, not to make excuses, but the second yeah. half is going to be a little bit easier. And uh, so hopefully after they get past the SEC Big 12 Challenge, uh, in late January, they'll be able to string a few wins here together. But that I mean, they've be shown awesome. that they can play, uh, in thirty uh, seconds. You mentioned Will Wade. Any any word anywhere on when that's going to finally come to a resolution? <laughs> no, we have. You know, we we have no indication. We're in contact. Jeez. You know, we're in contact with the NCAA trying to find out. And, you know, we we keep hearing late spring, early summer. Uh, so I don't know when it when it's going to be, but. Uh, <laughs> it, it's it's crazy, and um, you know I, I I just don't know you know what's the outcome going to be. I mean, it, it just you you look at teams like Kentucky. I mean, um, excuse me, Louisville and yeah. and Arizona and Kansas. They got off with a slap on the wrist. You know, Memphis, the same thing. You just you, you just wonder what's <laughs> what's at the end of the line here. If they save an LSU I, for last to hammer them, but uh, if I you had just kind of wonder what's going on here. If I had to guess, Sheldon, and I'll end on this one, I think LSU's going to be fine. I think Will Wade's going to get the hammer put to him because he fought this thing. He kind of laughed in their face and, you know, all that. I think he's going to be the he's going to be the um, the whipping post for the NCAA. That's just my thoughts. Uh, we shall see whenever and if ever this thing finally gets resolved. We'll see. Uh, safe travels it, it on the road to Tuscaloosa. And, uh, as always, Sheldon, thank you, my friend. Okay, no problem, man. Anytime. You got it. Sheldon Mickles of The Advocate. Now, tonight, from 6 to 7, please tune in for the McNeese Coaches Show, presented by Maplewood Burgers, line a bet out of Westlake and the Southwest Louisiana Law Center. My buddy Jim Gazzola will be talking all things Cowboys. So tune in tonight, starting at 6, for the McNeese Coaches Show right here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. From the... 40-minute game of college basketball to the 48-minute game of the NBA. Pals, Celtics, Ali Cassell, when we return here to the Jordy Holtberg Show. Jordy Holtberg is known far and wide as the Blonde Bomber. For the perfectly feathered golden mane he rocked back in the day at LSU. The hair may not be as golden or as long, but Jordy is still making a name for himself. Back to more of the Jordy Holtberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. And we are back 36 minutes after the hour on this uh, Wednesday, January the 11th. The NBA is a really funny game. And what people don't understand is... Everybody that's on that on a team is a really, really good basketball player. Now, some are just great. And they make the good players maybe sometimes look not so good. But case in point, last night, the Golden State Warriors um, get Steph Curry back on the court after he's missed about 11 days uh, with Klay Thompson and, um, uh, you know, and, and the rest of, of the Golden State Warriors. They play the Phoenix Suns, who were without Devin Booker, Chris Paul, Campaign, Cameron Johnson, Jay Crowder, and DeAndre Ayton. I mean, they were a shell of themselves, and 
sure enough, the Suns beat the Warriors 125 to 113. So anything can happen. Tonight, the Pels, without Zion Williamson, without Brandon Ingram, go on and take on the Eastern Conference-leading Boston Celtics. Anything can happen. But Boston's really good. Ali Cassell at the Bird Rights, kind enough to join us to talk about the Pels and talk about the NBA. Ali, thank you for the time. That's why I don't make investments in games. How in the heck can you anybody think the Suns could have beaten the Warriors last night? How? Oh, I know. I'm glad you're bringing this up because you know what? The Pelicans are going to need that kind of effort, I think, tonight. And we saw them do that early in the season against the Mavericks. People can remember. There's no Zion, no B.I. They had just gotten injured in the game before against, I believe, the Utah Jazz. And they came yeah. out, and even though it was a home game, they upset the uh, the Dallas Mavericks and Luka, right, the great Luka. So that's what, you know, the Phoenix did, Suns did last night. You gave an opportunity to these good basketball players, and I'm glad you mentioned that. 500 players playing this league, and I'll tell you what, every single one of them is good to a certain degree. It's who you compare them to is where you kind of get lost, right, where fans think, okay, well, this guy's no good. He never not true at all. These guys can play. So you give them yeah. an opportunity. You saw what Darius Sarge did last time. He went for 19 points against the Warriors. So, yeah, that can happen any given night. And I hope it happens tonight when the Pels are up in uh, Boston without B.I., without Zion. Yeah. Um, Boston's won uh, five straight at home. Uh, Jason Tatum's averaging um, – 30.8 points per game, the highest per Celtic basically ever. Larry Bird last with 29.9 points per game. Um, boy, it was great to see Valanchunas uh, step up his game. I love when they go inside to him to kind of set, set the stage early, get him involved and get him active early. When you do that, now you've got him for the whole 48 minutes. Uh, I, I like getting the bigs involved. You have to, don't you? I mean, if there's no Zion Williamson, let's face it, when Zion plays, Jonas does have to take a back seat, right? He stands way more than you want, would like him to out on the perimeter to keep that lane open for Zion's drives. So without Zion, you absolutely have to pound the paint because most teams, they play small, and Jonas can take advantage of them. I mean, I love what he did in the last game against the Wizards. He beat up on Gafford and even Porzingis. You know, he sealed those guys really deep underneath the rim, and that led to easy, you know, two points or a trip to the free throw line. And that's what they're going to have to do. you got to lean on that. Um, I know Boston's you know, got a tough squad, but I think he can use his size against Robert Williams, right, effectively, because mm-hmm. he's just bigger, stronger, and maybe even against Al Horford, too. So you've got to look to that because Jonas has been great. He's been averaging 20 points since Zion went down. C.J. McCollum, he's been averaging 30. So he's been yeah. a firecracker, and I hope he's got another one left in the tank. And then the third guy <laughs> you've got to be looking at, Jordy, is Najee Marshall. He's kind of filled in for the, the missing Zion drives to where he's, you know, he's attacking the basket religiously. I mean, he's been yeah. averaging about seven trips or so to the free throw line in the last four games, averaging 20 points. I mean, the, the amount of improvement we've seen from him is astounding. But more importantly, it's leading to winning right now. So I hope we see that as well. So the Pels have some firepower. They don't have their main guys. But they've got enough to where, you know, if you play like you did in Washington, limit those offensive rebounds. Um, right. You Limit your turnovers. That was huge against Walt Withers. They only had 10. Yeah. And then, of course, don't give up that three ball. The Pelicans don't have a chance. 
Bells are 25 and 16, two and a half games behind uh, the Denver Nuggets and the Memphis Grizzlies, who are atop the Western Conference. Of course, Boston is in the number one seed in the East. Um, they got a little break now that Kevin Durant's going to be missing for about a month. They lead the Brooklyn Nets by a game and a half, the Milwaukee Bucks by two and a half. And don't sleep on those 76ers. And the Cavaliers are both three and a half games back. Ali, this is kind of, we had talked about this earlier about, um, um, this this road trip that, that this five game road trip it all started with a, um, a a finale at home against the Nets who were really rolling at that time they had won twelve in a row got beat and they were coming off that loss they beat the Pels by six in a very entertaining very high high level game of basketball mm-hmm. we talked about it we just don't win in Dallas we just don't we don't do that um, but it made. The game against Washington so critical in this road trip. And, I mean, they put up 132 against the Wizards. They were uh, they were terrific in that game. Oh, they were awesome. At first, I was a little worried because uh, Washington came out guns a-blazing. I mean, they yep, jumped out they to a 10-0 lead, right? And then the yep. Pels ended up giving up, I think, 37 points. But after that, they locked down defensively. They stopped making mistakes. And they just played fantastic. I mean, when you get 27 fast break points, score 39 times off of their turnovers, you know, odds are you're probably going to win the game. So that the Pelicans needed that one because they have a tough stretch. And they were coming off, you know, four games or four losses in their last previous five games before that Washington game. So it was good to see them, you know, not just beat a team, but kind of show that, hey, we are pretty darn good, right, with that 20-point performance. So hoping some of that magic carries over, like I said, to tonight. Biggest key is yeah. I don't want to see Boston get off to a fast start. The Pels seem to really struggle, Jordy, is when the opponent gets off to a really good first quarter and the Pels are down big, right? And it's usually because of the three-point shot. Hopefully they'll won't, that won't happen again because it happened the last time we faced this team. Uh, we got to get more than 13 minutes out of Herb Jones. Um, I, he's been hurt a little bit. His offensive game is not near what it was a year ago. What, what, what's going on with Herb Jones, in your opinion? Well, first off, I, I'm hoping that Herb can play, right, because he took a really nasty fall, so he's questionable yeah. to play tonight. Um, but the biggest thing for him is he has just been in and out of this lineup this season, so there's been no continuity for him, uh, no, no um, comfort factor for him. And for when you're a role player, that's what you kind of need, right, because you're only going to get to shoot about six, seven times a game. So if you go a couple of weeks without playing, all of a sudden you got to get, you know, jump right back into it. Well, we know, right. That's just ingrained in them. But offensively, when to pick your spot and having the confidence to score, like I said, when you have those limited opportunities, I think that's what's really gotten gotten to Herb. Because when you look at his stats, he's really gotten up to really poor starts. Right, First quarter, he's barely making anything. Same thing happens right. out of halftime, too. But he's much better in second and fourth quarters. And honestly, he was just coming around, and t- uh, you know, shooting the ball until that, that nasty fall in Washington. So I'm kind of upset to see that. Hopefully he doesn't miss much time, if any. Because I think he was getting his feet wet because uh, he was shooting about, I think, 40% or so from three for the month, right? By far his best three-point shooting month so far this season. So he, he was trending in the right direction. Ali Cassell at the Bird writes, uh, it's tough to go into Boston and win. Uh, the last meeting was back in November. The Celtics with a 117-109 win in uh, in New Orleans. Um when you think of the Celtics, you think of Tatum, you think of Jalen Brown, you think of uh, Marcus Smart. Um, 
in that game, though, Derek White was the guy that really hurt yes. the Pels with, with 21 points, and you don't expect that from him. Uh, but um, what, what did the Pels do? Who guarded Tatum? Who guarded Brown that you remember? Oh, well, you know Herb was on one of those guys. I can't remember exactly who was on who. But, um, look, the Pelicans have the length, right, and, and the defenders. So I wouldn't be surprised if Dyson Daniels plays a lot more than normal. Because it, I, although you like Trey Murphy, um, I don't think he's ready for it. So if I remember right, I think Herb and Brandon covered, uh, covered both of those Boston Celtics. Well, obviously, they might not both be available tonight. So it may be up to, like, say, Trey and Dyson Daniels. So either way, boy, you're going to have to ask something special from both of those guys. Because as we know, I mean, Tatum's a surefire all-NBA first-teamer in my mind this season. Yes. And Jalen yes. Brown's not that far behind him, right? So it's yep. a big ask. But what I don't want to see is those role players. And I'm glad you mentioned Derek White because that sticks out in my mind. He and Al Horford just lit up the Pelicans, and usually from you know behind the arc. I remember they, they, Boston scored 10 three, hit 10 three-pointers in the first quarter. You're not going to mm-hmm. win any games when you let that happen, and it's not Tatum and Brown destroying you. So it's a big ask. You know, I, I do hear that Marcus Smart may not play. He's questionable. And same thing with Robert Williams. They're both dealing something with the knees. So the Pelicans okay. may get a little bit of a break if one or both of those guys do miss the game tonight. Uh, Tatum with 19 points in the in the first matchup, but what hurt was when he got 10 assists in the ball game. So uh, you got to pick your poison. Either let him, yeah. either get him his points, but don't let him assist in other points. Uh, and maybe you have a shot. Let, let's talk about uh, the latest news injury wise um, with Brandon Ingram. Any any new reports on him? Well, the latest thing with him is that Willie Green feels confident that he's going to be back soon and that he is going to have go through a full practice real soon. We were hoping it was going to be yesterday, but it wasn't. So maybe there's a chance it'll happen in the next few game or next few days. And when it does, then we may finally see him. Because I mean, look, he's been out for a while, and I know he's been getting close. He's been working harder and harder behind the scenes, right? We see him before games um, and during after practices, getting up more jumpers, moving a lot better, right? It's not just mm-hmm. these standstill shots like they were, say, about four weeks ago. So he's, all, he's, he's getting close, right? And I know he had a setback about three weeks ago or so, but it sounds like he's going to be back real soon. It's just, you know, we're all chomping at the bit, right? Now right. there's no Zion. B.I. hasn't played in well over a month. It's time for him to get back. We all want to see him back. Yeah, it's going to be a tough one tonight against the Celtics. Um, certainly a winnable game at the Palace against the Pistons on Friday. Mm-hmm. Then uh, Monday against the, the, the surprise team, I think Cleveland is is really, really good. Maybe maybe that's when Ingram gets the practice because they play Friday. That means they have Saturday, mm-hmm. Sunday before they play on Monday. Maybe he gets in a good run before that game. Uh, I, your guess is as good as mine. I don't know, but you got to win um, one of these next three, uh, in my opinion, to, to kind of keep this thing rolling the way you want to roll. You, you can't you can't go 0 for 3 in these next three. You just can't. No, and look, I think we should have enough faith in this team that that probably won't happen. They've been yeah. fantastic at home, but you know what else? They've been fantastic against below 500 teams, whether that's been at home or away. I want to say they're 5-2 and two against sub-500 teams away from the Smoothie King Center. So, that bodes well, like you said, for that matchup against the Pistons. They got that win against the Wizards. You know, it was a 20-point win in Detroit. even worse. They're missing Don, uh, Cunningham for the whole mm-hmm. season. So they're, they're shorthanded as well. So you expect for them to get that one. 
But you're right, the Celtics and Cavaliers, if they could just get one of those two, boy, that would make for a really nice road trip, right? No yeah. B.I. Yeah. probably for the, the whole stretch, no Zion, and you went three or five on the road where you've struggled, kind of, right? That would mm-hmm. be great news. Uh, the Nuggets have won three in a row. The Grizzlies have won seven in a row. So even though the Pels are hanging around, they, you know, they've won one. They miss, lose one, win one. But uh, they're hanging in there two and a half games back, and they're two and a half games ahead of the Dallas Mavericks. So you want to get in that upper tier. So when playoffs come, you get to host a uh, an opening mm-hmm. round playoff, which would be really, really cool for the Pels. Long way to go, but what, we're 40, we're halfway there. We're 41 games into it we're at the halfway mark of the season they play 82 regular season games so halfway through it what an improvement a year makes golly oh my goodness jordy yeah think about all these injuries i mean last year injuries derailed this team they got off to a horrendous start and they luckily tread enough water and thanks for that playing format they were able to squeeze into the playoffs well they've improved already by 20 games in the standings right they just maintained this edge It'll be just about a 20-game improvement, right? Finish 10 games under 500. They're nine mm-hmm. over right now. That's remarkable. But they could be even better if they could just get these guys healthy and keep them on the court, right? Because we've, we've got to see it. The firepower is there. We've seen yeah. what the role players can do. But can you imagine if Zion, B.I., and, and uh, C.J. are playing in every game? I'll tell you what, there's going to be a few teams that can stop that. God, just give me 20 games of them right before the the, the yes. playoffs start. <laughs> give me 20 consecutive games so they can get in a flow, get into a rhythm, and let's see what this team is really all about. It's remarkable. They are where they are, and it speaks to uh, David Griffin, Willie Green, mm-hmm. uh, with with the players that they've got, the buy-in there, the, the chemistry, the talent. Uh, man, it's, it's, it's remarkable. They are where they are with – with the limited time that all these players have played together. It's remarkable. Exactly, Jordy. Finally, there's a winning formula here in New Orleans, right? You had faith that David Griffin was taking over for Dell Demps, who never really figured it out, right? Just I think yep. he had two winning seasons, um, maybe three. It was three during his tenure. It was, what was a 10-year tenure? But it wasn't nothing promising, right? You couldn't taste, like, sustained success. But with Griff, well, he brought in the mentality of he's going to keep trying different recipes until he gets it. Because let's face it, he's made a lot of big trades. Totally revamped the entire roster when he, in his first year here. Yeah. And now he's been able to put his blueprint by trusting the draft, right? Something Dell Demps didn't do. And he's hit on a bunch of guys. So you combine that with landing some stars through trade, uh, as in CJ and B.I., and of course you land Zion. Tell you what, he's done a remarkable job. But every single guy in that roster, they're one of those – you know, they're not problems in the locker room. They're, they're, they're willing to listen to coach, take in all the advice, and play together as a team. There's something truly special that's been built here, and I think we're going to be looking at a really good team for a long time. Like, remember the Memphis Grizzlies? Like, that's probably the most recent example from the Southwest Division. They yep. seem to make the playoffs every year, seem to win 50 games every year for a stretch of, what was it, 10, 12 years, right? I mean, yep. I'm not ready to compare us to the Spurs yet, but let's reach the Grizzlies level, and I think that's very, very within their uh, grasp. You're the best. Ali Cassell at the Bird Rights. Pels Celtics in the garden tonight. Um, I don't call it the TV garden. I just always <laughs> call it the garden, man. That was one of the highlights of my NBA journeys was to stand on that court and look at that leprechaun. It's got so yeah. much history to it, man. It was really cool. Uh, look in the stands and see Jojo White and see Hondo Havlicek. Such history. Uh, that's basketball country, man. That's that's where basketball is. You know what I mean? 
Absolutely. I've been in there once uh, when I was a kid. Goosebumps. That's the way I can describe it. And yeah. Thinking about it now, yeah. I'm getting goosebumps. Because you're right, there's a few places in every sport that you walk in, you just feel right the history and, and, yeah. and everything else. And I'll tell you what, Boston definitely had it. That old gardens, ooh, loved it. Yeah. The building may have changed, but the parquet remains the same. Ali Cassell, mm-hmm. let's get a win tonight. It would, it would be quite a feather in the Pell's cap if they can. It's going to be very, very difficult. But remember, the Suns beat the Warriors, and the Suns had nobody yes. out there. Anything can happen. We'll see. Thank you, my friend. Absolutely, Jordy. Thanks. All right, take care. Ali Cassell from At The Bird Rights. Get Mardi Gras started the right way. Boy, I got the Mardi Gras fever now with a real fun run. Trail presents the Lundy Gras Barathon, Monday, February 20th. It's four miles through Freetown, just south of the parade route. Wear a costume and enjoy free drinks throughout the course served at the Adult Hydration Station. A party bus will follow close behind so runners can jump aboard at any time. Run all or some or none. The audience will vote for the winner of the costume contest so bring your loudest craziest friends it's the lundy gras barathon free foods free drink and prizes register now latrail.org you know what we need to do in louisiana you know before we go to break in all seriousness everybody starts off with these new year resolutions are you kidding me seriously it's busier in january we got mardi gras in february let's start our new year's resolution on um, the day after Mardi Gras. It's just too much temptation. It's too many king cakes. It's too many parties. We should start our New Year's resolution. That's my proposal now for all of you who have already broken your New Year's resolutions when it comes to how you eat and how you exercise. Let's wait till uh, the day after Fat Tuesday. How about that? Are we all in agreement? Let's get the Super Bowl on a Saturday, right? And let's get our New Year's diet going on the day after Mardi Gras. I'm running for governor. We'll be right back. Stay with us. All right. Uh, coming up, hour number two, Hump Day with Huguenin. Mike Huguenin will call. Uh, we'll discuss and put a close to the college football season, look at college hoops, and much, much more. That's coming your way after this top-of-the-hour sports update here on the Jordy Helper Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. You're home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston. Astros. We'll be right back. Live and local. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Open for the end zone. It's a Saints touchdown. It's time for two hours of the best sports talk on the airwaves. Here's your host, the Blonde Bomber, Jordy Holtberg. Hour two of two, and away we go on this Wednesday, January 11th, the year 2023. Hope you're having a great day. Thanks so much for joining us. If you missed anything in hour number one, it was very basketball-centric. We talked LSU's loss to Florida, 67-56. Basketball is a simple game. It's a simple game. You work hard on the offensive end to get the best shot that you can, and you hope you have really good shooters that can knock down a good percentage. And if you do, you're going to win a lot of games. It's it's very simple. LSU shot the ball poorly. They turned the ball over 16 times, which led to 23 Florida points. And in what was like a way, way, I mean, way 
way, way back throwback day before they had the shot clock and the three-point line. But even when, when I played, we scored more, a lot more than that. LSU loses 67-56. to 56. They couldn't throw it in the ocean. That's back-to-back games like that. And the gauntlet just gets ridiculously hard at Alabama, Auburn, Tennessee at home, and then at Arkansas. Uh, you can hope and pray to, to, to come out 500, but, man, if you can just – you got to win at least one. You're not going to win at Bama. You're not going to win at Arkansas. I'm sorry, you're not. And Tennessee's really good, so they're going to be really tough to beat. Uh, I said it before. I'll say it again. Um, it's you know Matt McMahon's doing the best he can with what he's got, and he was behind the eight ball when he got here. He really was, totally was. Um, the only way this team can win basketball games this year is if they shoot a high percentage from the floor, from the three-point line, and from the free throw line. Plain and simple. Plain and simple. They just they got to shoot the ball well. They just aren't talented enough to and big enough to pound it inside to get buckets. So they, they rely on outside shooting, and if it's not falling, they're not going to win. They're not going to win. So uh, we did a lot of that. So if you missed it, you can always go to 1037thegame.com, uh, 1041thegame.com. Look up the Jordy Heltberg Show, and it'll be archived, and you can listen to that. We talked to Ali Cassell, uh, Celtics um, hosting the Pelicans tonight in Boston, the best in the East against one of the best in the West. Of course, the Pelicans shorthanded. Um, but as I said in hour number one, if you missed it, if not, I'll be a little redundant here. Uh, Phoenix beat Golden State last night. Golden State got Steph Curry back. They had Klay Thompson. They had Draymond Green. They had everybody. Andrew Wiggins was there. They had them all. Anthony Poole, uh, Boston. I mean, Phoenix without Devin Booker, without Chris Paul, without DeAndre Ayton, uh, without Payne, without Cam Johnson. They, they Their top six, seven players were out. And... They somehow beat Golden State by double figures. The NBA something. All the players are really good. It's just we get used to the great players, and that makes the other players look not so good. Uh, but we've seen the Pelicans without Zion, uh, without Brandon Ingram. Uh, look look how good uh, some of these other players are. Look how good Najee Marshall has become. Look how good Alvarado's become. Dyson Daniels looks pretty good. Um, Trey Murphy looks pretty good. So these guys are all professionals. They get paid to play. They're pretty darn good. So we'll see. We'll keep our fingers crossed. But Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, um, that's a good ball club. And winning in Boston is never, ever, ever easy. We got uh, good news on the, the front when it comes to DeMar Hamlin. Uh, he has been discharged from a Buffalo hospital um, just nine days after that Monday night, um, just devastating to watch scene in Cincinnati. Uh, but DeMar Hamlin discharged. He's back home in Buffalo with his family. And, man, we wish him uh, all the best uh, for a for a full um, and speedy recovery. Not the same for Tua Tagovailoa, who's been ruled out of the Dolphins' playoff game 
against the Buffalo Bills uh, in Sunday's wild card game. Coach Mike McDaniel said today he's uh, the third year pro has been in the concussion protocol since the day after Christmas. He suffered his second, quote, documented concussion of the season the day before on Christmas Day in a loss to the Green Bay Packers. Um, McDaniel said, Tua hasn't been cleared to resume any sort of football activities. Um, and so they ruled him out. No Teddy Bridgewater at this point in time. So good luck, rookie Skylar Thompson, who will make his third career start Sunday in Buffalo. Uh, no word on Lamar Jackson and his availability for the Baltimore Ravens as they get ready to take on the uh, Cincinnati Bengals. He's been out for quite some time as well. He has, doesn't have a contract. Um, things are looking a little bleak, uh, a little bleak in uh, Baltimore when it comes to Lamar Jackson. The final 2022 college football power rankings came out. Um, of course, Georgia hands down number one in this thing as they overwhelm TCU. TCU comes in at number two. It is um, Michigan at number three, Ohio State at number four, Alabama at number five, Tennessee at number six. What a, what a year the Vols had despite losing Hendon Hooker uh, to that torn ACL in that uh, just the greatest game maybe in South Carolina history, that 63-38 win over Tennessee. Um costing the Vols a spot in the college football playoff. Penn State at number seven, Washington Huskies at eight. Roll, roll to the green wave. Uh, their first 12-win season in a long, long time. They had that 46-45 Cotton Bowl victory over USC was just sensational as they got 16 points in the game's final four minutes to get it done. Tajay Spears with a season-high 205 rushing yards and four touchdowns. He's the real deal, man. He's the real deal. The green wave at number nine. The team that beat LSU in the season open to Florida State at number 10, Utah at 11, and the LSU Tigers come in at number 12 um, as the Tigers recovered from that SEC championship game loss to Georgia, uh, preceded by the loss to Texas A&M with that uh, resounding 63-7 to win over Purdue in the Cheez-It Citrus Bowl. So um, you got that, and you, you see LSU in the way too early um, rankings for 2023. They think the Tigers are going to be pretty darn good Um You've got uh, all kinds of seventh in the country, eighth in the country, whatever. Uh, LSU will be well represented um, in the NFL playoffs. 27 former Tigers are headed to the playoffs, which begin this weekend with those six super wild card games. These include 24 players on active rosters and three on injured reserve. LSU has at least one player on the roster of 13 of the the 14 playoff teams, including four on the NFC North champion, Minnesota Vikings. The only team without an LSU representation is the Philadelphia Eagles. All 24 former Tigers on active rosters will be in action this weekend for the opening round of the playoffs. So 
Best of luck to them. Former Tiger defensive back slash running back Derek Davis Jr. transferring uh, back to his home state to play for Pittsburgh. He came from Monroeville, Pennsylvania in the 2021 class. He played sparingly at safety before being moved to running back late this season. Um, Looked pretty good. He looked pretty good, but he opted. He wanted to get back back home. So so that's uh, that's tremendous. So good luck to him and his future. So um, Mike Huguenin will join us. We'll wrap up the college football season and we will start delving into uh, the college basketball season as well. Now that you scored an Amazon Alexa or Google Home smart speaker for Christmas, you can listen to the game. That's right. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Just ask your Alexa or Google Home to play. Hey, Alexa, play the game. Southwest Louisiana. It's that easy. So do the smart thing and have the game. 1037 Lafayette. Wait, hold on one second. Alexa, stop. I said it too loud, and my Alexa got after it. Can't have that. Do the smart thing. Have the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles with you at your office, at your home. How about everywhere you go? It really does work. If I say it too loud, boom, it pops up here. Can't do that. Can't do that. All right. We'll take a time out here when we come back. Michael Huguenin on 3.com. Lots of talk with my main man when we return here to the Jordy Helpert Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, your home for the LSU Tigers and your home for the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Stay with us. Uh Uh-oh. Do you know what day it is? Anybody? It's time for Jordy to break down the biggest storylines in college athletics with Mike Huguenin of On3.com. Mike, 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 Mike. What day is it, Mike? Here is Hump Day with Huguenin. On the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Well, Mike, is, uh, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a sad time for him because um, we got 236 days uh, before a college football game is played again. It's over. It's done. Georgia, the king of the world. Hello, Mike. Are you okay, big guy? All right? Yeah, it's. Uh, and I'll be honest, about midway through the second quarter on Monday, I realized, well, the season's over. And then I actually started to do some work. Um, it was a, <laughs> a totally depressing final game. I actually thought it would be close, uh, at least into the fourth quarter. And, you know, TCU, I think – Someone figured out they they had four false start penalties in their first thirteen games, or first fourteen games, and they commit one on the first play of the title game, which is mm. which was not a good sign. And then on that third down on TCU's first possession, dude wide open and uh, Duggan missed him. Um, and yeah, Georgia, I think Georgia punted once. Uh, weren't really stopped. I think they were 11 of 13 on third down. It was extremely one-sided, obviously, uh, and a yeah, a depressing end to what had been a really good season. No question. Do you, do you think the moment was too big for TCU? Yeah, I think I think that was part of it. Um, also, think that Georgia did not really mess around. I thought. You know, going back to that first possession in the Michigan game, Michigan not scoring was a big deal. Uh, you know, TCU didn't get a respite Monday night. Georgia got the ball scored. Georgia got the ball scored. Georgia got the ball scored. I mean, 38 points in the first half. 
So um, I think once TCU fell behind 24-7, to it's one thing to fall down by 10 in the regular season, falling behind by 17 in the title game, uh, no margin for error because you knew your defense couldn't do it, and the TCU offense, yeah, could not do it either. Um, it, it is funny, though, the number of people who – took to social media and wrote afterward, see, this is why we don't need a 12-team playoff. Well, those folks didn't say a word after the semifinals. That's right. Um, And let's not forget, Georgia could have lost the national semifinal. I'm I'm convinced that if Noah Ruggles attempted that kick from 40 instead of 50, it would have been Ohio State TCU in the final. Yeah, I'm with you. Um... Mad Dog Russo, one of the long-standing radio broadcasters out there, adamant, vehement against um, opposed to Stetson Bennett playing college football at the age of 25. You have a problem with that? No. Um, I don't remember Chris Russo saying anything about Chris Wanky when Wanky won right. the Heisman as a 29-year-old. And you wonder if Russo knows – that North Texas quarterback Austin Onay will be 30 when the first week of next season. What? Yeah, he, he played six years of minor league baseball. Wow. Good for and, him. And, um, yeah, I have no problem with it whatsoever. His final year um, of college eligibility. You, but, you know, that's, you know, the, it, this is, you know, the NCAA did a good thing in giving everybody the extra year for COVID because it was a extremely screwed up year. I'm with you. Um, some schools played 10 games, some played four, some played seven. So the NCA, in one of its rare cases of being proactive, extremely rare cases, said everybody gets that extra year. And I, I, I don't... It's, it's ridiculous that someone weighs in on that at the end of the season. And yeah. I'll be honest, Chris Russo... <laughs> began his radio career in Orlando back in the mid '80s, and oh. let's just say that Chris Russo, even back in the mid '80s, did not know anything about college football. <laughs> With you, Mike Hugan and on three dot com. Um, is Stetson Bennett the greatest bulldog ever? I know there's Herschel Walker, but as far as Winnie is concerned, I mean, nobody's won more than that kid. No, but I mean, he, he will go down in history as he, he was the quarterback who won his two national titles. And, you know, I think I joked on your show last week. Last, when he won the title last year, it meant he would never pay for another drink as long as he <laughs> lived in the state right. of Georgia. Well, winning two and in the manner in which they won – Stetson Bennett will never pay for anything ever again in the state of Georgia. Cars, houses, you want a pony for your kid, you want a pool put in your backyard, you want a mountain house, it's all for free. So, you know, it's either, he's not, you know, talent-wise, he's not even the most talented quarterback in Georgia history, but yeah. he, he deserves a ton of credit, won two national title rings. But that's like saying A.J. McCarron's the greatest quarterback in Alabama history because he won two title rings. That's right. ridiculous. That's ridiculous. I, I'm with you. Um, okay, so as soon as the game was over, everybody started screaming from the mountaintop, well, that that's the greatest season ever. No. How do you compare Georgia's 2022 season to LSU's 2019? Plus, I, I, I think there's the, um, the Army team from the 40s. There's the Nebraska team in 96. There's a lot of great teams in college football history. The problem is recency bias. 
that out. Right. Again, the same people who are saying, you know, Stetson Bennett's the Georgia GOAT are, you know, let's look back to, you know, okay, Herschel Walker, take away the political thing with Herschel. He was a one-man team when they won the national title on offense. Right. So, so the same thing with, you know, it, Georgia's season was impressive. Georgia could have lost the semifinal. So yeah. let's not, you know, again, everybody glosses over something that happened on New Year's Eve, and maybe that's because they're, they were too inebriated to remember it. But, no, this is not the greatest team ever, no. Okay. At least LSU never trailed in the fourth quarter, and they only trailed uh, they trailed to uh, Clemson, and then outscored them like I don't know thirty eight to nine or something, and blew them away. So I, you know, I may I may have some recency bias, but but that team with that with those skill position players, I don't know how you top that. Right. But anyway, right. And it, there's there's also a Tennessee team in the twenties that did not allow a point. Yeah. Yeah. And granted, it's it's different eras of college football, and I That's get right. that. But That's I don't right. care what era you're in, not allowing a point. Um, yeah. And, you know, again, some of that, that Army team um, that I think won every game by double digits as well. I mean, there's the Nebraska team that won back-to-back 95-96. I mean, those, you know, they had some players who were not great people. But that was a steamroller of a team. So um, again, there's a finishing unbeaten is, is impressive. Blowing out TCU, and you know that that you, they, I work with Ivan Mazel, and Ivan's point was that was that was in a humiliation, and it was yes. you felt bad for TCU yes, because they're going to go yeah. down as the team that lost by 58 in the final, and they had a phenomenal season to even get there. Um, yeah, I thought you know I thought you were going to ask me about Nick Saban voting his own team second in the coaches' poll. Oh, I didn't know that. Go ahead yes. and tell me about that. Yes, he he voted Georgia one and Alabama two. <laughs> I guess he forgot they lost twice. Yeah, go ahead, Nick. Go. And I, I guess uh, he forgot the, the priceless that thing was they barely uh, beat Texas and barely beat Texas A and M. Yeah. So, the priceless thing was on television when David Pollock said Georgia's taken over the college football world, right, sitting right next to Nick Saban. Yeah, and his Saban. Well, was you like, know, he's, he's priceless. He's back-to-back titles, that's hard to argue against. So, And, you know, Alabama this year didn't even get to the playoffs. Again, they lost. They didn't even win their division. So I, I think Pollock has legitimate reason to say that. Um, and, yeah, again, Alabama, it's hard for me to you know, get the fact that coaches vote – you know, for all sorts of reasons, but if, you know, if you go off what they looked like in the Sugar Bowl, yeah, that's a pretty good team. If you go off by the, what they looked at, looked at in the regular season, they were ten and two and finished second in their division. Could have been eight and four. So the, no, that's not the second best team in the country. <laughs> Mike Huguenin, kind enough to join us. Um, the SEC did pretty good in the bowl games, didn't they? I mean, it's just uh, it's it's crazy well, when they go to a twelve-team field. What's a five. realistic What's a realistic um, but, number of SEC teams getting into that field of 12? Well, that, that that's – yeah, I think this year there would have been three or four, no question. So – and I think that's going to be the case going forward. I also think the Big Ten is going to have three or four on an annual basis. The question now, um, what's the Big Ten going to look like when Texas and Oklahoma leave? What's the Pac-12 going to look like when UCLA and USC leave? 
and what is the ACC going to look like without getting another TV deal because mm-hmm. um, those schools are, you know, Miami, I don't know when Miami is going to be good again. Uh, Florida State looks like they're going to be pretty good next year. Clemson is a gigantic question mark. And then the rest of the ACC, well, we've still got to find out. So, yeah, um, yeah when, the, when the field goes to 12, wouldn't be surprised to, at all uh, if six or seven teams are from half the field is going to be from two leagues, at least half the field. Yeah. Uh, Mike with us. Um, we talk about Oklahoma, Texas. I hear rumblings where maybe the commission is starting to say, okay, I'm open for negotiation here to get you guys out of here a little bit. What, what are you hearing along those yeah, lines? Yeah, I think the Big 12, it's, you know, it's like some, if, if you're going to do something, why put it off? These schools right. are leaving. So, you know, and, and, you know, I'll be honest with you also, if you're the Big 12, the best thing that could happen for you this year was TCU winning your league. Because if Oklahoma or Texas had won, Amen. all yep. the talk would have been, see, the, the best team the best team in the Big 12 is moving on to the SEC. So I don't yeah. think you want that the danger of that happening. I think you want That's those teams point. out. And if you're the SEC, I think you maybe you don't want them this fast. Maybe you want to have more time to plan. But at the same time, you, you've already known they're coming. You should have your plans in place. Get get those two new schools there. Unveil the new scheduling plan because God knows they have to know what they're going to do, don't they? Yeah. Um, yeah. So it, 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 it's going to happen. So why not? Ha- why not it happen sooner rather than later? I guess 24 is going to be the the year, Uh, not 25, but I would imagine 24. I think they've got everything in place for 23 already. But what if all of a sudden Texas and Oklahoma said, look, we're going to pay the money. We want to be in now. So the SEC says, fine, come aboard. We'll we'll make – we have provisional plans. Because, again, if they don't have a provisional plan, that's that's ridiculous. So I think they do know what's going on. I think 25 is – I mean, I think 24, rather, is legitimate. Um, I think the logistics for both sides will be a little bit too difficult to do 23. Though, I, again, if you look at what happened in 2020 with the way schedules were made during the COVID year, schedules can be redone quickly. Quickly. So it's possible. And there was a basketball game last week, New Mexico, Oral Roberts. A New Mexico-New Mexico State game was canceled in December because a New Mexico State player was shot um, at a party. Um, Mm. And it was decided last week that New Mexico, hey, we need another game. We need to play another game because we're not going to reschedule this. So, like, within four days, Oral Roberts decided we'll play you and you'll fly us down there. So the idea that it has to be done ten years in advance is ridiculous. I'm with you. Uh, Mike Huguenin on 3.com. We'll take a quick time out here. Uh, we'll get his thoughts on which of these college quarterbacks do you think he uh, will equate to a great pro quarterback? And we'll talk some college hoops as well as we continue here. Hump Day with Huguenin on the Jordy Helpert Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. You're home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. <laughs> Jordy Holberg was draining three-pointers with ease way before Steph Curry came on the scene. 
or was even born. Now, back to the Jordy Holberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Greens are wild. 333 on this Wednesday, January 11th. It's hump day. That means Michael Huguenin joining us. Um, I'm curious as to your thoughts, Mike, on um, the all-important quarterback position when it comes to the NFL draft. Uh, and I think of I think of Bryce Young. Everybody seems to think that he's he's going to be up there. Um is he going to be the guy uh, out of this class that you think has the the best NFL uh, future? Yeah, I don't know. I think he's going to be the first quarterback selected as of right now. Obviously, that's before the combine and all that kind of stuff and workouts. But I look at the quarterbacks coming out this year, and I'm not convinced that any of them are going to be star guys. Um, it, obviously, it also depends greatly on where you end up. You know, right. uh, and it, if you're a high-level quarterback, chances are you're going to a horrible team. Like, I think Justin Fields is really good. Uh, I think he could be a really good NFL quarterback. He's on a horrible team. Um, yeah. And that, I think, tempers his ceiling, lowers his ceiling. So, you know, you look at Stroud, you look at Levis, you look at Bryce Young, all those guys who are supposedly first-round picks. I'm not convinced any of them are going to be stars. And of the three, I actually like Stroud the best. Um, okay. Bryce Young's height is a little bit worrisome. Okay. Um, you know, and, oh, Drew Brees was six foot. Yeah, well, there's a lot of quarterbacks who were six foot that didn't have big That's time right. in career. That's so right. why would you talk about the outlier slash anomaly there? So that's a long-winded way, way of me saying I'm not sure any of these guys in this draft class are going to be high-level quarterbacks. I think they can be serviceable starters. Uh, which means that if you have a good defense and good surrounding talent, you, you can you can have a good season. But I just I'm, I'm not convinced any of these guys are going to be a star. Yeah, nobody stands out like a Trevor Lawrence did his season. Nobody stood stands out like a Joe Burrow did in his season, right? Well, yeah, and you know, and Cam Newton, um, you, you know, as as checkered an NFL career as he's had, he did take a team to the Super Bowl. And he it was sure on did. his shoulders. So, and you yeah. know, I don't think that Bryce Young or Stroud or Will Levis is good enough to take a team to the Super Bowl on his own. Not even close. Not close. I'm with you. Um, uh, let, let's switch over to, to college basketball because I've been treated. It seems like every week there's a new number one. It seems like this year more so than I can recall in a long. There's a lot of teams that are good. I don't think there's any great. Is there a great team out there that you see? No, I think there are a lot of high level. Like right now, I, if you said how many teams you think can win the national title, I'm like, oh, probably as many as a dozen. Yeah. Um, and obviously, we're still relatively early, well, midway through the season, so that that number is going to go down, I think. But um, you know, you look at Houston; they're in a league that they should, frankly, I think, blow through. I, I'm not yeah. sure they're going to drop from number one. Um, I think Tennessee; they play really elite defense. UConn plays good on both ends of the court. I think UCLA is underrated. Kansas, obviously, the defending champ, is playing good basketball. Um, Alabama's off to a great start, but they also were off to a great start last year and faded badly. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's just going to be an interesting, an interesting t- uh, tournament when it gets there, I think. But, again, I think there's a lot of teams um, right now that can win the national title. Um, 
and you're right, there there is no great team. I'd be scared to play some of these teams, but but I wouldn't think, you know, if I'm at number eight seed, I'm like, oh, that team's going to kill us. Yeah, I don't think there's a team like that in, in, this, in the country this year. We, we talk about the ACC being down in football forever and a day. Um, for as long as I've been on this planet, ACC basketball was always the king of the hill. And now you don't find a team in the top 10. Virginia is the highest ranked team. North Carolina is not even in the poll. And Duke is barely hanging on. What, what, what's happened to the sports landscape of the ACC? You know, it's weird. Last year, the ACC was bad, and they did fine in the tournament. In, in fact, obviously, North Carolina got to the final. Right. Um, I am a little bit surprised that North Carolina is scuffling as much as it has been. Um, now, Baycott getting hurt last night, that yeah. potentially is a gigantic deal. Virginia is obviously well-coached, and they play that maddening style, but I don't know if they're good enough offensively. To win it all, I'm not sure they're good enough offensively to even get to the Elite Eight because I don't care what kind of defense you play. I don't care how deliberate you are. You eventually have to put the ball in the basket, and I'm not convinced Virginia can do that consistently enough to win it all. Um, Or, again, even get to the Elite Eight. Duke, I think, is suffering from post-Coach K syndrome. Um, Their freshmen are not playing nearly as well as they need to. Uh, Clemson has been a fan- phenomenal surprise. Um, Pitt has been a surprise. Uh, Miami is extremely well coached because people have no idea how good a coach Jim Laranaga is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're right. Uh, you know, you compare the ACC with the Big Twelve, and the, the Big it's a route. The Big Twelve is vastly better than the ACC. Yeah. Um, the Big Ten's got some teams at the top. The SEC's got a handful at the top. The Big East. Is they got some good squads that are well coached, uh, and I think again UCLA and the Pac-12. I think in Arizona are legit national title teams. So, um, and the ACC, I don't think I don't think the ACC has elite an elite eight team, and that is sort of alarming if you're an ACC basketball fan. And, and those of us a certain age, that used to be the only sport that mattered in the ACC. That's right. Um, and it is sort of That's disheartening. Right. To see uh, what ACC basketball has become this season, at least. What is what is blasphemous, Mike Huguenin on three dot com is um, you don't find them in the top twenty five. You don't find them in the others receiving votes. The Kentucky Wildcats. Yeah, that's losing what's to going South on with Cal? Oh my! At home, I think <laughs> it was. I think they were an eighteen point favorite. 20, that, just, 20. They're, they're not good. And I've seen criticism of Calipari's offense. Um, you know, one person said it's like, you, you know, you, you're running the same dribble drive that you ran when you were at Memphis, and that's 15 years ago. And in that respect, Calipari yep. reminds me some of Jimbo Fisher because yep. both those guys lean on something that has worked in the past, but they haven't tweaked it enough to keep up Mm -hmm. with the way things are going. And, you know, you have a book on how to defend Kentucky. They don't have an elite point guard. Sheboy obviously is really good, but not getting much help. And he didn't play very well last night. And their defense is just – sometimes they don't look they're trying on defense. So, um, yeah, this – you know, 
there's always annually talk about Calipari. How long is he going to be there? I, I think this is the first time, truthfully, that you can look at John Calipari and Kentucky and wonder, will he be there next year? You saw where the fan in the stand had, yes. had a sign up, please go to Texas. And, and they kicked him the out of the arena. Ejected yeah. from the um, they, they pulled him out of there real quick. Yes, and again, that's I can understand the fan base's frustration because, you know, football is – it's not, football is a diversion at Kentucky. It's all about basketball. Um, you know, I think of you know LSU and Alabama. You know, it's, you could talk football 365 days a year and not get yeah. tired of it. At Kentucky, you can talk basketball for 365 days a year and still want tons more. So yeah. it, it, there's, it's not surprising to me that there's an uprising among UK fans. And again, I, you know, there's always talk about Calipari. You know, it's time for him. I, I really wonder if he's going to be their coach there next year. I think he could get another job if he wants it. Um, I, think he could. I also think there's people there who are sort of okay. It's time for us to move on. He has grown stale here, and I've used the analogy on your show before. Coaches are like bread on a supermarket shelf; they can go stale. And I think yeah. Calipari has grown stale at Kentucky. And I think it would behoove him to go somewhere else yeah. and get a fresh start. It would behoove Kentucky. I, I really think that's going to happen. The question is, Kentucky can get any coach they want. They've got the money. They've got the resources. They've got the tradition. I wonder who would fill that role. Who would be a good candidate for that? Yeah, that's fascinating. Um, you know, it takes a certain style young? of coach. Do they try to find some up-and-comer, late 30s, early 40s. Do they go try to get an established coach from somewhere else? Um, that, that, that is, that's going to be one of the more fascinating subplots for the rest of the season. Because you look at Kentucky now, they're not making the NCAA tournament. Now, they have the talent to turn things around, but at some point you have to look at what they put on paper and on the court. Not on paper, but look at what they put on the court yep. and realize this team is not playing well and you wonder if they can regain an edge. And if they don't regain that edge, if they continue, they're going to finish under 500 in the league and not go to the NCAA tournament. You mentioned earlier, uh, there comes a point in time where you got to put the ball in the basket, and that's the case in point for LSU. They lose again to Florida. They only score 56 points. They shoot like 18% from behind the arc. And guess what? They've got to go play <laughs> – at Alabama, then they've got Auburn, then they've got Tennessee, and they've got to go to Arkansas. Good luck with that. Yeah, that's an ex- that's a monster four game stretch. <laughs> um, and Jeez. Florida does play good defense, uh, and Castleton is a big time rim protector. Yes, but he is. You should still score more more than fifty eight points um, or fifty six points or whatever it was. But you know, Florida shot abysmally outside and won by double digits. So that says something I think about. Again, it goes back to LSU's offense. Um, and you take K.J. Williams away. I don't, did anybody else even score in double figures? No. Uh, no. And K.J. Williams played well. Um, yeah. But the, the, the lack of shooting, um, that, was, that showed, and that's an issue for Kentucky, too. They don't, they don't score uh, when they need to. And um, you give up 67 points at home. To Florida, you should win. And instead, they lost by double digits. 
Let's come full circle. Let's go back to college football. Georgia's won two in a row. You look at their schedule. They got UT Martin, Ball State. They play South Carolina at home. Spencer Rattler coming back. UAB, they're at Auburn. Kentucky at home. At Vandy. They have the Gators that play at Missouri. Ole Miss at Tennessee and at Georgia Tech. Who's going to beat them? Yeah, that non-conference schedule is embarrassing. It really uh, is. I mean, I know Georgia Tech's uh, – you, 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 I got no problem with them playing Georgia Tech. But how about throwing in a, a, a good non-conference foe in there? Um, and the crossover games are Auburn and Ole Miss. So uh, that's certainly not daunting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the only team that's going to – and the SEC East, I don't – I'm not 100% convinced that Joe Milton is going to come close to what Hinton Hooker did at quarterback. Um, Joe Milton has been a starter at Michigan and a starter at Tennessee. He lost his job both times, and the yeah. team got noticeably better. Maybe the fact that he'll be a sixth-year senior will help him next year. But you're right. I mean, that schedule is not scary. I mean, what what is the toughest game on the schedule next year? Tennessee and yeah. Then, guess, again, that's because it's on the team. road. That's, that's all about. I can think of. I mean, it's 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 absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, it's it, nobody's even close to Georgia in the East anymore. No, no. Kentucky Man. will have a new quarterback, Devin Leary. Florida, new quarterback with Graham Mertz, evidently. Tennessee's yeah. going to have Joe Milton. South Carolina is going to have Rattler, but you know he he played well three games. Well, he also played poorly in ten. So, uh, and Vanderbilt, let's get serious. Missouri, let's get serious. Um, Auburn, that's another mm-hmm. school. they got a long way to come back. Ole yeah. Miss didn't really beat anybody with a pulse this year when you look back on what the Rebel season was. So that is not a daunting schedule whatsoever. Um, LSU, won, LSU won the SEC West this year uh, with the Heisman Trophy winner at Alabama. He's gone. Um Quarterback at at uh, Texas A and M is pretty good, but they got look like they got a long way to go. Uh, you, LSU, the favorite in the SEC West, maybe. I can see a lot of people thinking that. You know, to me, it's you know LSU. I think relative to what Brian Kelly had to work with this year, overachieved. I mean, you're starting two freshman left tackles. Five yeah. key guys in the secondary come from the transfer portal, and not all of them went through spring. You lose your best defensive lineman in the first game. The linebackers are nothing special, and they win the SEC West. Um, they're going to be better next year. Alabama's going to have a big-time roster, but who's right now? Jaden Daniels easily trumps anybody at Alabama at quarterback. And the yeah. rest of the division, Arkansas was a 500 team. Ole Miss didn't beat anybody with a pulse. Mississippi State's going to be interesting to see what happens there. Texas A&M. You know, no one's going to think much of A&M going into next season, so maybe that means they're going to be good because the last two seasons a lot was expected and they weren't. True. I still True. think there's a lot of problems at Texas A&M. Um, Auburn, that's a total, to me, that's a rebuild. So yeah. right now, I mean, you can make a strong – LSU is in the preseason top ten for a reason, and right. it will be interesting to see um, – when SEC Media Days comes around in July, what the projected order of finish is, because I can see it's going to be LSU or Alabama on every ballot, I would think. 
Right. Um, going to be interesting to see which one gets the nod. And again, looking at the early, early top 25s that have been released in, in almost every single one I've seen, LSU has been ahead of Alabama. Um, back to A&M, your thoughts on Bobby Petrino, uh, offensive coordinator with Jimbo Fisher. You know, Bobby Petrino, I don't think anybody's ever doubted the fact that, oh, this guy's a good offensive coach. Yes, he is. Yeah. Um, but, you know, heck, his arrival there filled with controversy. Three weeks ago, or three weeks before he took the job, he took the job at UNLV. He talks about yeah. how I'm loving, looking forward to working with Barry Odom. We're going to be playing and winning Mountain West Conference championships. I'm glad to be in Vegas. And then three weeks later, boom, he's gone. Yes. So, yes. Um, <laughs> it's, you know, we all know why A&M, we all know why Jimbo had to, he had to hire him because he had to hire somebody to rev up his offense. Mm-hmm. But it's going to be interesting to see if those two guys can coexist. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I've said on your show, all coaches have giant egos. Some just do a better job of sublimating it. These mm-hmm. are two guys who never have sublimated their egos. So I would love to be in the meeting room on a daily basis with those two guys because there's going to be arguments. There's arguments in all coaching meeting rooms. I I, I understand that, but. There's going to be a lot of give and take, and I'm, neither of those guys are used to giving. So that's going to be fascinating. Um, Connor Wigman has some potential. Um, not sure about the A&M running game. Um, they need a lot of young receivers to step up. Um, it's going to be a fascinating experiment. And yeah. you know, if, if A&M goes seven and five, I don't care how much it costs to buy them out. They're buying them out. So. Um, there's, there's a ton of pressure on Petrino and a ton of pressure on Fisher. Let's see how it all plays out. It's going to be fun. Absolutely. Again, Mike Huguenin on 3.com. You're the best. Hump Day with Huguenin is my favorite. Thank you so much, buddy. We'll talk to you next week. Excellent. Thanks, man. All right. Michael Huguenin. Tune in next week to the Jordy Holberg Show for Hump Day with Huguenin here on The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. A recent survey said that game listeners prefer our station than filing their taxes. Take that, taxes. This is The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Uh, we are back to wrap up this uh, Wednesday edition of um, our program. Uh, we we covered LSU's um, woes on the basketball court, the expectation of the Pelicans. They take on the, the Celtics tonight, and we kind of wrapped up the college football season and uh, look ahead with great expectations for uh, the LSU Tigers for next season. Uh, tomorrow, we'll recap the uh, the Pels game. We'll look forward to LSU women. Can they make it 17-0 as they travel to Missouri to take on the Tigers? We'll preview that one. They're the fifth-ranked team in the country. Uh, Kim Mulkey, is she ahead of schedule uh, in her quest for another national championship? We'll see. She's got a great couple of really good players. Um, as they grow older and gain more experience, we'll see what can happen. Uh, so this team is going to go a long way, uh, and we look forward to that. If um, if today is your birthday, uh, January the 11th, uh, happy birthday from all of us to all of you. You share your birthday with um, uh, 
an LSU legend. It was on this day, June 8th, 1996. He hit the shot heard round the college baseball world. The walk-off home run, LSU versus Miami. Happy 49th birthday to Warren Morris. Couldn't be a nicer guy on the planet, more unassuming. Just, I was there. I couldn't believe what I saw. I've never been back to Omaha. I'll never go back to Omaha unless they pay me. I won't go back. How can you possibly top that? You can't. 1996, happy birthday, happy 49th birthday to Warren Morris. Um, Yeah, special, very special. All right, uh, James Mesh, thank you, sir, for all you do. Thanks to all of you for listening in, whether it's via the radio, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, the internet, 1037thegame.com, 1041thegame.com, television, Stadium 32.3, 133 LUS Fiber. We're here, we're there, we're everywhere. We thank you. To our partners that make it possible each and every day, well, you know how I feel. We couldn't do it without you, so thank you so, so very much. Come on back tomorrow, same time, 2 to 4. Same great stations, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Until then, I'm Jordy Helpberg. Stay thirsty, my friends. Do everything you can to stay healthy. That's the most important thing. Hey, uh, let's be kind to one another, and what the heck? Let's be happy. Have a great day, everybody. So long.